0: In December of last year, we started a series called The Forgotten Gift, and we saw through the book of 1 Peter that we have a gift that the Old Testament prophets uh, searched out and they sought for. And these Old Testament prophets prophesied that this gift was going to come, and they got a little glimpse of it, but they never got the full picture. The Bible even tells us that the angels desired to look into this gift that you have, and that gift is Christ. And the words and works of Jesus Christ found in the Bible, the gospel, the Holy Spirit inside you. And in that series, we talked about how this gift changes us. And as awesome as that gift is, just wait until you get to see the gift giver face to face. Then in March this last year, we started to unpack this gift in a series we called Jesus the Series. And we started going through, step by step, through God's word, what Jesus said and what Jesus did. And that's what we're going to continue today. We're going to look at the miracles he did, the people's lives he touched, and the sermons that he preached. And that's going to be our mission for this series, to study the words and works of Jesus Christ so that we can talk like Jesus and we can work like Jesus. So today is the season two premiere of Jesus the series. Bum, bum, last time on the Jesus series. In episode one, we saw that we are a continuation of the Bible and that Jesus left us with the Holy Spirit, that we might do greater works. And then we saw that even though Jesus ascended to heaven, he didn't leave us alone. He left us with the Holy Spirit and that Jesus inside us is better than Jesus beside us. In episode 2, we saw that John the Baptist was pointing the way and preparing the way for Jesus. And we asked the question, are we pointing the way and preparing the way for Jesus in other people's lives and those around us? In episode 3, we saw Jesus face temptation in the desert for 40 days. And we talked about how temptation can be exciting, but in the end, it's excruciating. And that the Bible tells us to walk in the Spirit so that we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And to resist the devil and he will flee because he wants uh, to get us to sin. He wants to make a fool of you. He wants to make the fool of your God by causing you to worship him rather than to worship God. And that God always promises a way to escape sin. And we have example of Christ and how to resist temptation. And he had the victory and now it's our turn. And then in the last episode of season one, episode four, we saw how Jesus got his earliest disciples... And they were normal people without a title that just decided that they were going to get share, uh, excited about sharing Jesus Christ with others. So today, in Season 2, Episode 1, we're going to look at the first miracle of Jesus' ministry. And that is, does someone know what it is? Turning water into wine. Now, let me just get this out of the way right here at the front. The uh, point of this event in the life of Christ is not an excuse to use, uh, use and abuse alcohol, Okay. Despite what country music says, Jesus isn't your bartender, okay? That's not the point of this story. But um, that's the main reason you hear people cite this story. And people that aren't even Christian love to bring up that Jesus turned water into wine. And for some people, it's the only Bible story they really know. And that's not the point of this at all. The message of this story is so much bigger now, some scholars believe adamantly that this was grape juice. Others believe it did contain alcohol. But either way, without modern fermentation methods, they weren't taking shots of tequila here, okay? They weren't drinking margaritas out of a, you know, an alien this tall or something, Most likely their wine was was watered down so much that you'd have to drink uh, till your eyeballs were floating before you really got drunk, okay? But in that day, they mixed their water with wine because they did not have a modern purification uh, way to get their water to be pure. So they put wine in there with it to help them from getting sick. All right, we got all that? That's the last I'm going to talk about that. So, So don't get crunk, and then blame it on Jesus. Don't get smashed or lit or turned or whatever you want to say, and then blame it on Jesus. That's not the point of this. All right, now that we got that out of the way, let's go ahead and look at John chapter two and verse one. And the uh, specifics of this event are only found in the letter of John, the beloved disciple. It says, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? Try to say that to your mom. That does not go well most of the time. Uh, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servant had drawn out uh, new, though the servants that had drawn out new. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said, everyone serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first sign uh, uh, that Jesus did in Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. So Jesus was at a wedding, most likely of someone he knew. It's kind of significant that Jesus uh, went to a wedding. He took the time out of his ministry to go and attend this wedding. And not only did he attend it, but he performed his uh, first public miracle there. We see Jesus and his friends, the disciples, and Mary. Now, we don't see Joseph, uh, Jesus' stepdad there. Many scholars believe that Joseph had passed on at this point. But marriages in, in those days were week-long Festivals. It was a whole feast that lasted for days and days, and they were big deals. And families took pride in how they threw their wedding. It was a big social thing, and if it didn't go well, you were frowned upon. So Mary, his mother, uh, Jesus' mother, came and found Jesus through the crowd and said, Hey, look, they have no wine. They have run out. Have you ever been at a party where they ran out of ice or out of chips or out of dip or something like that? It can get pretty stressful especially for the person that is, you know, th- hosting this party. It gets a little bit, I know if it's your wife, and, sh- and she's like, hey, you need to go right now to Walmart because we ran out of soda. We ran out of this. It can get pretty stressful for the person hosting the party. Now, why did they run out? We don't really know. Maybe there was more people that came than it uh, was expected. Maybe people drank more than they were expected to. But regardless, someone needed to fire the party planner, Right. This family's reputation was going to be ruined, and we don't know why they ran out, but we do know that there was a problem that they couldn't fix. So Mary knew that Jesus could take care of this problem. Mary had the faith that Jesus could do something about this problem that no one else could solve, but why did she have that faith? Well, we know that this was Jesus' first public miracle, but maybe she, he had done some things privately before where she knew, hey, Jesus can do this. We also know that Jesus didn't turn a stone into bread during his temptation just a short while before, so uh, we know that Jesus wasn't just going willy-nilly around just every time he got hungry, just you know, making things and, and performing little uh, tricks like that. He definitely wasn't using his power for his own fleshly needs. But either way... Mary looked to Jesus to solve this problem. She trusted that he could do something about it. But it's kind of weird, though, when you think about it. uh, Jesus says, what does this have to do with me? Mine hour has not yet come when Mary asked for help. Now, why did he do this? Scholars have all types of different explanations. Uh, One is that uh, some almost believe, believe as if Jesus didn't want to do it, But then Mary talked him into it. I don't think that really harmonizes with Scripture. I know I've tried to talk God into doing some things before, and that hasn't really worked out for me either. Uh, Now, others believe that Jesus was equating the wine to the shedding of his blood as symbolized, like we'll do here in a little while, in communion. And the time of his sacrifice was not yet come. And I think you can see some symbolism there pointing to the cross. But I don't think that was the only thing Jesus was saying there either. Other scholars believe that uh, Jesus was simply saying, look, I'm on my own timetable. And we don't know how long they went without wine, but some scholars believe that Jesus waited until those people felt the need, until they realized that they were at the end of themselves, and then he came in. And I know in my life that's been true over and over and over again. Rarely does God meet the needs right when I ask him to meet them. Many times there are waiting periods where our faith is stretched but Jesus is always on time, amen? He knows the timetable. and We see that uh, as exemplified in the story of Lazarus. Lazarus is sick, his friend. And Jesus doesn't go and heal this sick man that he loves. Why? Because he doesn't want to heal a sick man. He wants to raise someone from the dead. And in order to raise someone from the dead, that sick friend that he loves has to die first. He waits four days, and then he raises Lazarus from the dead. And we see there that Jesus is on his own Timetable. So why does he say, mine hour has not yet come? Others believe Mary was pushing Jesus to show everyone who he was with his power. But Jesus again showed restraint, like we see over and over in Scripture. Instead of showing a whole party this, uh, this miracle, he only showed a few servants and his disciples. It says that the ruler of the feast tasted the water that was made wine, and he knew not whence it came. But the servants that drew water knew. See, Jesus manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. It doesn't say that many believed on him, but rather just a few that were close to him. So some could have left that party not even knowing that a miracle had ever even taken place. We know this, that Jesus didn't wear a top hat and a cape and have a wand and a beautiful assistant and put on a show. He wasn't interested in just flexing the muscles of his power to wow people, but instead he desired the genuine conversions of people's hearts. So, why did he say, mine hour had not yet come yet? Well, I believe it's a mixture of those last three that he was speaking symbolically about his death, that he was speaking about being on his own timetable, and also showing restraint in who he showed his power. But this next part's awesome. Mary said to the servants, do whatever Jesus says. Literally what she said was, whatsoever he said unto you, do it. And that's good advice right there. That's, that's life advice that we could take. Whatever he says to you, do it. So Jesus told the disciples to fill up these six large jars or jugs that were used uh, for purifying and washing themselves. And then Jesus provided the answer. Jesus provided the wine, a symbol of his blood in jars that were set aside for washing people clean. Isn't that really cool? That was a problem that they had, and Jesus changed things. See, this miracle would point forward to the fact that Jesus was the ultimate solution for purification that would replace all those Jewish purification uh, ceremonies. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection would wash us clean. See, Jesus answered the problem in the best possible way. The creator of the grapes made the best wine ever tasted. And then the governor of the feast called the groom and said, most people serve the best tasting stuff up front, but you save the best for last. So This is an awesome story. Jesus provided for people around him. And you might say, well, why did Jesus take the time not only to go to a wedding, but to provide for this relatively small problem. Why did he choose to do this? He helped out this groom's reputation. It could have been ruined for running out of wine, but Jesus helped. It's amazing that he cares so much about things that we might say, God doesn't care about this. So what are three applications from Jesus' first public miracle? What can we learn from this event? Well, one, we see that Mary had faith that Jesus could handle the problem. Mary had faith that Jesus could handle this problem. So here's a question for you. Who do you go to when you have a problem? Where do you go first? You've got a problem, you've got a struggle in your life. Do you go to your friends first? Do you go to your family? Do you Google it, try and figure out the answers to, to all your questions? You know this old hymn that says, Do you fear the gathering clouds of sorrow? Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. Are you anxious of what shall be tomorrow? Tell it to Jesus alone. Another old hymn says, What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Jesus doesn't care how big or how impossible, or how small, or seemingly insignificant your issue is. Take it to Jesus. Trust Jesus with the answer. That's what Mary did. She said, Jesus, you can do something about this. Number two, when Jesus gives you an answer, whatsoever he says unto you, do it. I think Nike got that from them, right? Just do it. Whatever Jesus says for you to do, do it. Everybody says do it with me. One, two, three... Do it. That was really good. I won't even make you do it again. Do it. Now, often you might say, well, God doesn't give me an audible voice. Hey, you know what's all found in here? Over and over and over again, God says, do it. Do it, do it, do it. Love people. Have, live in unity. Forgive people. Give mercy. What do you want to do? The Bible tells us that. Whatsoever he says unto you, do it. The answer might be, wait. Mine hour has not yet Come. You might think it's too late. You might think he's wasting time and wasting your life. God, I don't understand why you've got me in autopilot here. I feel like I'm circling the same thing over and over and over again. I'm in a holding pattern. You might think it's too late. You might think he's wasting your time. But no, he's either stretching you or setting you and setting himself up to do something even bigger. See, sometimes Jesus wants to know what you want more. Him? Or the answer of prayer? Do you want him or to get that house you're praying about? Do you want him to be close to him or to be close to that girl that you wish would notice you? Do you want uh, to have Christ or do you want to have that job that you've been dreaming about? Make sure your motivations are right. And then whatsoever he says unto you, do it. Even if it seems pointless. I don't know about you, but if I was one of those servants, I'd probably have been really stressed out. I'm, I'm probably going to get in trouble about this. Uh, you know, this, the, the, the wedding has run out of wine. I I'm probably should have thought about this and thought this through. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, hey, go get those jars. Go get those jugs, those empty jugs, and come bring them here. All right, why? You got grapes in your pockets, and we're going to, you know, squeeze them? I don't know, fill them up with water? What do you mean fill them up with water? They don't want water, Jesus. They want wine. This doesn't make any sense. If this was me, I'd have been arguing with him. They don't want water. This is dumb. Why would we take the time to fill up these jars? I'm spinning my wheels here, Jesus. We have a real problem. I don't have time to be filling up pointless jars with water. But no, whatsoever he says unto you, do it. And lastly, trust Jesus to provide the wine. Trust Jesus to provide the wine. These guests drank the best wine ever created. Not only was the wine great, but they tasted a symbol of the gospel. And out of their need came a beautiful representation of the gospel. This is what Piper said. He said, This wedding wine poured out of vessels made for washing, foreshadowed the best of all wines, which would be served after humans, had done their sinful best to meet their needs and failed. This wine would flow freely from an infinite abundance from the purest vessel of all time for the greatest wedding of all time. This was a picture of Jesus being broken and spilled out and used up for us on the cross to meet the need that we could never meet. John 2.11 said that this was the first sign of the signs Jesus did in Cana and Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Now, we don't know whose fault it was that they ran out of wine. But we do know why it ran out. To show forth the glory of Jesus and to make disciples. It didn't make sense for them. They were worried. They were frustrated. They were anxious. They were hopeless. They probably feared that things are going to go bad here. We don't know whose fault it was, but we know Why? Because Jesus was setting himself up to do something amazing. And I don't know why these problems have come into your life. I don't know why you're going through what you're going through right now. And you can come up afterwards and say, but Pastor Phil, this is really hard and I don't understand. And I know I'm supposed to forgive. I know I'm supposed to trust God. And I'm going to look at you in the face and I'm going to say, I don't get it either, to be honest with you. But I do know this, I know that God is good, that you can trust him, that you can go to him, and eventually you're going to see some good out of it. Because whether it's him refining you through this process or him answering that problem that you have, he wants the filling of your need to be a beautiful picture of the gospel. And sometimes that means instead of fixing your problems, Jesus wants to fix you in your problems. Instead of calming the storm, he wants to calm you in the midst of the storm. Let's remember that you can't handle your problems on your own. Take it to Jesus. And whatever Jesus says to you, do it. Make sure your motives and your focuses are right. It's easy to believe lies in conflict. It's easy to let yourself create this whole narrative about why this is happening and what's going on. But this is true. God wants to walk with you through this. And lastly, trust Jesus to provide the wine. Whatever you stand in need of, whether it's peace, whether it's comfort, whether it's courage, or whether it's an actual physical uh, answering to prayer, a health issue, or a financial issue. Just trust that whatever it is, God knows what he is doing. Trust him. Jesus will provide what you need. Just do whatever he tells you. Mary had faith that Jesus could take care of a problem. And now it's our turn. With every head bowed and eyes closed, As the band comes, let's stand to our feet. Maybe you've got this problem that you don't understand this morning. Maybe you've got this burden, you've got this struggle, you've got this circumstance. Maybe it's something that happened a long time ago, and you're still holding on to it, and you're still asking why, and still doesn't make sense. As the band plays here in just a second, I'm going to invite you to come down to this altar. Come to the person that you know can take care of the problem. No amount of worry that you put into it, no amount of anxiety that you have is ever going to solve a problem that is in tomorrow. And see, what we don't realize is that when we worry about things... That thing rules us. It becomes an idol because we begin to think about it so much and we begin to uh, let it simmer on our minds. But really what we need to do is say, God, I don't know necessarily what to do, but I know when you tell me what to do, I'm going to do it. And then I'm going to step back and I'm going to trust that you, out of this hardship and out of this problem, that you are going to provide what I stand in need of. I'm going to invite you, if you've got something today, something insurmountable, something that you've been dealing with a long time, why don't you come down this morning. Bring it to the person that can do something about it. Maybe you want to bring somebody with you, your husband, your spouse, your son and daughter, and pray over them and say, hey, look, we've got this problem, and today we're deciding that we're going to trust Jesus to provide what we need. As they play, the altar's open this morning.